Thanks, you guys. Beautiful. Wasn't that beautiful? Uh, can I have a stand, please, ma'am? You're standing yes. my stand? Give, give me to me. Stand away. I can't stand it. All right. How you doing this morning? All of those who are freed from the idolatry of football are present here. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. All right. Yeah, someday, I love this song. Someday, it will never get below freezing again. Hallelujah. Someday, I'm here to tell you, that day is coming. But until then, we'll just have to bundle up. All right. I appreciate the spirit that's in this place this morning. I'm Greg. Uh, if you're visiting here, I'm Greg, teaching pastor here. I uh, appreciate uh, last week Jeremy uh, filling in. What, isn't he a great preacher? That kid can rock. Hey. Uh, he's one of the young revolutionaries that I'm in contact with, these folks who just get the kingdom and uh, doing great stuff. Um, it freed Shelly and I up to go down to San Antonio, which wasn't 81 degrees, but it was warmer than it is here, which isn't saying much because it's ridiculous here. But we are down in San Antonio last week. Uh, I spoke at a pastor's conference. And there are times where, you know, I travel places and do ministries. Sometimes I just wish the whole congregation of Wilton Hills could be present to see what's going on and to hear what I hear and to see what I see. Because some of it is just so encouraging, just to know the significance of what you're a part of here. Um, a, a good percentage of the pastors at this conference uh, were, were podcasters. And it really became clear that the, the vision of the kingdom that we teach here and some of the distinct theological convictions that we have here uh, is, is really kind of shaping um, these folks. And I'm seeing that all over the place. And sometimes it's making a world of a difference. There's one person there who just told me about how their faith was shipwrecked. Um, they were in ministry, but they're about ready to get out of it and abandon the faith altogether for a variety of reasons. And someone tuned him in about four years ago to uh, the ministry here, and he's been feeding off it ever since. He's in the church. He's a church planner. Uh, God's used him in great ways. And I just say that to say we're, we're part of something that's beautiful here, and uh, I thank God for every one of you, and I just want you to share in that sense of, of like, wow, what God's doing. It's just uh, it's a beautiful thing. The movement is thriving out there. All right, well, um, we're starting a series here this, this morning called Cage Free. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. Yes, and by the ways that the enemy uh, sometimes encages us, uh, puts, imprisons us in cages, various kinds of cages. And we'll be talking about how some scriptural principles about how to be set free and how to stay free and how to help others get free uh, from the cages that the enemy tries to put us in. What I'm going to do this morning is just kind of lay the groundwork for that, um, kind of do an overview of spiritual warfare. Now, this is a, a topic that we talk on, we, we come back to it every so often. It's, it's sort of a distinctive thing of ours, this emphasis on, on spiritual warfare, on the reality of principalities and powers and Satan and all of that, because we think it makes a huge difference on how you look at the world and, and, and how you respond to things, how you live your life. It's, it's a vitally important topic. Um, and, and so we, we, we put a big emphasis on it. Uh, if you have been here for, I'd say, two years or longer, what you're going to hear this morning will probably mostly review uh, but this is the kind of thing where we need to come back to it and review it now and then because the, the culture that we live in, I can't speak for the parishioners, but the culture that we live in here at, in America uh, is, is just contrary to everything I'm going to be teaching this morning. We're, we're, we're conditioned not to see what I'm going to try to get us to see this morning. And so it's the kind of thing we need to review on uh, with some frequency. I want to start by reading Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says this, a, a real classic passage when it comes to spiritual warfare. Put on the whole armor of God 
so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, those clever attacks of the devil. You've got to be able to stand. For our struggle, our battle, our warfare, our wrestling is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. This world is described as present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Pray with me for a moment. Father, I thank you for everyone in this auditorium, everyone listening through podcasts, our podrishners. Um, and I pray, Lord, that you give this word an authority that goes way beyond me. Give it your authority to do what only you can do, and that is to change us and open our eyes and, and enlighten us. And Lord, as we're going to be talking on spiritual warfare, I want to pray this warfare prayer that the enemy could not pollute this, our hearing in any way so we, we would hear it wrongly or, or hear it in a way that would cause fear. But Lord, be a fortress around us. Holy Spirit, be a fortress around this message and around each, each person listening to this message, uh, protecting us, and then do a work in us and through us to equip us, empower us, motivate us to be the soldiers uh, of love and peace that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. great. So this passage presupposes that there's a struggle going on, a, a, a battle going on. There's a, a, a warfare in the invisible realm. And we are caught in the midst of this. This world is a battle zone. We're to know, Paul says, that our real enemy is never flesh and blood. If it's flesh and blood, if it's another human being, it's someone we're called to love and bless. Uh, we're called to walk in obedience to Jesus' teaching, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and bless those who, who are, are, are against us. And see, in doing that, that self is a form of warfare against the cosmic powers. Uh, they are always trying to deceive us to think that other human beings are the enemy, and it's worked throughout history. But God's people are to be this unique group of people who really understand that that's not the case, who don't give in to that deception, and who know that the real enemy are the rulers, the authorities, these powers that are now uh, encasing this world. Uh, this topic is not in vogue these days. Believing in Satan is not in, in vogue, or demons, or fallen angels. It's just, it strikes a lot of people as unenlightened, kind of primitive, a medieval superstition. How can you really believe in a, I, 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 don't, I don't get this. Uh, a lot of people who believe in God find it impossible to believe in the devil. But if you believe in an all good spiritual agent, what's so bad about, or hard about believing in a evil spiritual agent or evil spiritual agents. But it's just not popular these days. I, especially in academic circles, I take a lot of hits, a lot of chiding for taking Satan seriously. It's like, gosh, I thought you were smart and you believe in the devil? One person fairly recently said to me, because you think the devil is real, I can't take seriously anything you say. So I stuck my tongue out at him. No, no. I'm not going to take you seriously. No, but that's, it's just not but see, I, 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 I'm here to say the first thing that needs to be said and settled in this series is this stuff is real. It's, it's, we're not talking mythology, psychology, medieval superstition. This stuff is real. I believe in the reality of Satan and fallen angels and demons primarily because Jesus did. In fact, it's a centerpiece of his theology throughout the Gospels. This isn't a peripheral thing. In fact, the, the biblical narrative is woven around this theme of cosmic war. I wrote a book on that called God at War. 
Um, this is the center, central thing here. Now, I've got good reasons for, for believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Historical reasons, philosophical reasons, experiential reasons, other reasons for believing that he, he is Lord. Um, and so I call him Lord, and if I call him Lord, I find it hard to correct his theology, especially on something as, as central as this. Uh, yes, you're the Son of God, but, but you're, you're off on a few points here. Let me, let me tell you. What the, now, I'm not going to be his instructor. He's going to be my instructor. So I, I just lock it in. I don't care what the culture thinks. This stuff is real. But on top of that, I've had some experiences, not many, but a few encounters with, with this dark realm that I can't explain any other way than saying that these things are real. There was one time, for weird, it was the weirdest period of my life. For four weeks, or for three weeks, I got caught in, in a sort of vortex of cosmic warfare. I, I, I don't know what it was. But in those three weeks, I had four different encounters, all unrelated to each other, in the most unexpected places. It was just bizarre. Uh, there's this one time where I was speaking at a Christian camp, and uh, I was praying this prayer over these kids who were rededicating their life to, to Christ, and I was calling them to take a stand against the devil and for Jesus. And I at one point said, and we rebuke Satan. And the minute I said Satan... Two girls in this auditorium just completely flipped out. And they ended up being demonized. And so we gathered around them. We were praying uh, and did that for several hours, actually. At one point, this young lady grabbed me that we were praying for. And she was growling as we were praying. And it, it was really bizarre. But she grabbed me by the collar and then pulled me to her, like, like nose to nose with her. And I first noticed her strength. I mean, this is, I was a young guy. I was pretty buff. I was working out. And she was manhandling me. She just grabbed me like this. And then she's staring right at me, her eyes wide open. And her left eye all of a sudden rotated counterclockwise three times. It went boom, 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 like that. And then she, like, tossed me back. Explain that. <laughs> Don't tell me this stuff isn't real. You try to do that with your eye. You sprain your eye trying. No, that, that, this stuff was real. And by the way, those two girls were delivered, and they're both in ministry. Uh, they actually came to church here a couple months ago. Uh, okay, we, several days after that, in the next week, um, I was teaching a class at Bethel College. I was a professor, and uh, it was a theology class, and I was talking about spiritual warfare because I was in the middle of it. And soon into my little lecture, this young man from Brazil interrupted me and said, Professor Boyd, you really should not be talking about this. Why don't you go back to talk on topics you know something about? <laughs> it's like, little brat. <laughs> I said, no, this is important. We're going to talk about this. And so I, I went on, did some teaching, and uh, about a minute or two later, he interrupts me again. He's getting really agitated. I could see this. He's getting irritated. And he says, you really need to back off of this. You don't know the realm that you're, you're entering into. I can see this, there's a fear in his eyes. And so I started talking about that, how we don't need to fear this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then this, this young man from the Philippines, and, and my experience has been that very frequently people who are uh, not from America or even from the West have a better sense of the, the spiritual realm than, than most Americans do. Even non-Christians in the non-Western world have a better sense of, of the spiritual realities than most Americans do. This, this guy from the Philippines, he says, uh, I'm sensing, you know, you've been talking about spiritual warfare, but I, I really sense that we're in the middle of it right now. And I think we should stop and pray. And so I said, I think you're right. And so he starts to pray, and he starts to pray with authority. I mean, this guy was taking charge. Whoa! And 
As soon as he starts to pray, the guy from Brazil begins to get very agitated. I, I, I notice him. Just, he's getting really kind of worked up. At some point, he stands up, and he starts to scratch himself like there's like insects on him. Or something. He's going like this. It was, it was weird. So I'm looking at him as he's scratching himself all over, and then all of a sudden, he bolts out of the room, the classroom. So I tell the guy from the Philippines to keep on praying and uh, you know, just kind of take charge of him. i got to go find this guy. So I'm hoping he's right outside the door crying or something. So I go outside, but he's nowhere to be found. So I walk up and down the halls, check out the, some bathrooms. I can't find him. For reasons that I, I don't recall even thinking about this, but I, I suspect it was the Holy Spirit, I felt led to go to my office rather than going back to the classroom. And as soon as I walk in my office, I get a phone call. And it's from another professor. And he says, I found a young man acting very strange in the men's room. Uh, and he said to call you and you'd know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Ghostbuster. Uh, so, okay, now, this is Bethel. I, Bethel's a great Christian university, but they're Baptist. They don't do demons. It's, it's not like standard thing over there, okay? So I get down there. This, 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 this guy's eyes were just bugged out. He, he, was, he was freaking out. And as soon as I got there, he took off. Okay? He didn't want anything to do with this. So I, I, this young man was, was calmer now. He was still agitated, but I, I could talk with him. And, 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 and so we talked and we prayed. It turns out that when he was 10 years old, this is the story behind this. When he was 10 years old, his dad was a pastor, and he was in a church service, and this lady began to manifest demons. She was demonized. And so her father and some deacons of the church gathered around her and were praying for her. And this young man is sitting right in the front row pew seeing all this. And she begins to levitate. And she levitated several feet off the ground, and the, the deacons and his dad couldn't push her down. She just was there. And that scared him so much, he, at that moment, he tells me, he made like kind of a deal with the devil. I won't bother you if you don't bother me. I never want that to happen to me. And so he, he calls like a truce. I'm, I, I won't get aggressive against you if you don't get aggressive against me. And that had worked for, for about nine years. Uh, he wasn't hassled by anything, but he also wasn't on fire for Christ. He was trying to do the safe, middle-of-the-road thing, which, by the way, is a, the most dangerous place to be. <laughs> The only safe place to be is in the trenches uh, with Christ. But he's trying to play the safe. And then what was happening in this classroom as, as we were starting to pray is that he was getting called out on this. And he had to make a decision. And he was just caught in the middle of this. And that's what that irritation was about. So I was able to pray with him. We renounced that covenant that he had made at the age of 10. I just rebuked it. He recommitted his life to Christ. And, and uh, he went on. Here's what's really strange. Uh, last night after I gave this message, I went into my office and on my desk... I get a letter from this guy. He was in church last week. And he says, I'm sorry I missed you. But he, he, he now has, uh, uh, he's got a family, he's got five kids, he's in ministry, he's on fire for Christ. And so praise God. That's... But this stuff is real. That's my point. This stuff is real. Um, and we need to take it seriously. Now, now here's the background of the passage in Ephesians 6. Uh, Paul uses these terms like rulers and authorities and dominions and principalities and powers and elemental forces of this world and cosmic forces of evil. And, and there's, there's a dozen or so different titles. And we know from uh, other literature of this time in the first century that these terms refer to categories of high-ranking angels, different classes of high-ranking angels. Um, and the, 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 the widespread belief, if you find this in the New Testament, is that these angels um, were created good. 
Because God never creates anything evil. Satan was initially created good. The traditional name that's been given to him before he rebelled is Lucifer. Um, but uh, they were created good, but they also were created, like human beings, with free will. Because love's the point of everything, and love has to be chosen. And so they had free will. They were also given, like human beings, they were, they were given uh, a, a, a realm of authority and responsibility. And their realm of responsibility was real high-level stuff. They were in charge of aspects of nature, of creation, in charge of running that, and they were in charge of, of overseeing uh, human beings, of, of caring for us. Just like human beings were given authority to care for the earth and the animals. That's our, our first mandate. Um, so also, they had a domain of authority that was broader in scope. And when they rebelled, they didn't lose that authority. It's, like, it's just like with us. Uh, we also are fallen. We succumbed to their temptation ages ago. And so we still are responsible for the earth and the animal kingdom, but because we're fallen, we don't always carry out that authority in line with God's will. And so the earth and the animal kingdom get harmed because of it. Or if a parent all of a sudden falls into crime or gets into drugs or whatever, they're still a parent, they still have authority over their kids, but their kids are going to suffer for it. That's just the nature of moral responsibility. So also, these high-ranking angels, when they rebelled, uh, Lucifer read, led this rebellion, uh, it calls a civil war in the heavenly realm, they didn't lose their authority. It's just that now they're exercising their authority at cross-purposes with God. And that, folks, is why everything's so screwed up. Um, that's, we succumb to their temptation, and so this is how they're able to put human beings in cages, destructive cages, keeping us in prison, working in, in harmful, evil ways. And it's not just human beings. The entire creation is, to some extent, put in a cage. It's under their oppressive influence. That's why Paul says in, in Romans 8 that, that the entire creation has been subjected to futility and frustration. Nature, as we now see it, isn't exactly the way nature was supposed to be. And this is why there's so much in nature that doesn't reflect the benevolent character of God. There's some nasty, nasty parasites and insects out there and, and violence throughout the animal kingdom. And stuff happens that harms people and animals, earthquakes and all the rest. This isn't the nature that God created. It's been corrupted. It's been corrupted uh, because the angelic beings who had authority over this have rebelled uh, against God. And so we find ourselves, folks, in this war zone. Where Earth is sort of a Normandy beach, if you will, which was uh, the, where the decisive battle of World War II was fought. Earth has become sort of this Normandy, the, the place where this decisive battle is being fought. In some sense, it's already been fought and won, but there's still uh, residue of this going on, and we have a role to play in this. There's a battle going on all around us. My prayer is that our eyes would be open like Elijah's servant. It says in, in 1 Kings 6, uh, his eyes were open to see the spiritual realm, the warriors around him. I pray our eyes are open to see what our culture doesn't want us to see. We're conditioned not to see this, but we are in the middle of a battle. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got an important role to play in this. Um, we're called to be soldiers. Not getting overly involved in civilian affairs, but always seeking to please our commanding officer. 2 Timothy 2.4. Now, two things I want to say about this warfare here. Um, and more, more specifically about Satan. On the one hand, it's important that we don't overemphasize the power of Satan, but it's also important that we don't underemphasize it. Uh, C.S. Lewis said there's, there's two uh, deceptions that Satan tries to uh, have us fall into. First, he tries to get us to believe that he doesn't exist or to minimize his power so much that it's as though he doesn't exist. Because then he can go about his business without any interference. And that one's working pretty well in our culture. The other, if, if he can't do that, however, and we're going to know he exists, well, then he'll, he'll uh, try to make himself so big that we live in fear of him. We become obsessed with him. We start seeing the devil behind everything. 
both of those extremes are to be avoided. Uh, they cause all sorts of problems. The truth is, is in the balanced middle here. Now let me say something uh, uh, first about the overemphasis uh, kind of thing, about the need not to do that. Listen to this passage, because it is good. Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know, and here's the wisdom and revelation we need, the immeasurable, you can't measure this stuff, the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. Somebody say amen. amen. Now listen to this. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. That's just a phrase that means in, in, in an authoritative position. Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now look where these heavenly places are. Far above, everyone say far above. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Those are categories of fallen angelic beings. Far above them. And it gets better. Because four verses later, Paul says, But God who is rich in mercy. We were dead in sin and in bondage to them. But he says, But God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loves us, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Where? In the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Do you know where you are? <laughs> and those heavenly places are far above all power and dominion and rulers and authority. Far above them. The authority that is in Christ. See, we are in Christ and that's where Christ is. We're seated with Christ and we're in Christ. And so we also are far above all principalities and powers and dominions and authorities and Satan himself. The, the authority that... It's immeasurable, right? The authority that we have in Christ. It is comparable, like, compared to that of Satan, would be something like the President of the United States, his authority compared to a first grader put in charge of feeding the hamsters. It'd be something like that. You can't compare it. And that's who we are in Christ. So if you know who you are and who you're in and where you're seated and the authority that you have, there is no place for fear. No place for fear. The last thing we should ever be is afraid of Satan. And I say that because whenever we talk about spiritual warfare, there are some people who get freaked out. They're the devil. And they don't want to think about it. Uh, no, no, no. If you know who you are, who you're in, where you're seated, there is no room for fear. And this isn't just sometimes people think, oh, I can't wait till I die and go to heaven, and then I'll be seated with Christ. You are already. Now. He's talking in the present tense. In some real sense, if you surrender to Christ... You are in the heavenly realms now. It's just not a geographical thing, of course, but it's a spiritual dimensional thing. It's a metaphysical thing, and it's a real thing. We are in Christ, and Christ is far above all principalities and powers and rulers and authority, so we've got nothing to fear. If we remember that, if we remember, on our own we be goners, but we're not on our own. We're never on our own. No, we are in Christ Jesus. In fact, James tells us this. He says, submit yourself to God and resist the devil, and he will flee. And here's the thing, you know, Hollywood paints this terrible picture of God, of, of, of Satan, I mean. Sometimes they paint a picture of God that way too, but, oh, look at that, Woo-hoo! be afraid, be afraid. Someone's thinking, that looks like, that looks like my husband before he has coffee in the morning. Uh, <laughs> so be, be afraid, be scared, oh, he's terrifying, he'll eat you alive, you rip your guts out. And I am not going to deny that Satan, and I'll say a little more about this here uh, in a moment, has authority over this earth but not over you. Not if you know who you are, who you're in, and, 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 and where you're seated. I resist the devil, and he will flee. 
Um, he doesn't say resist the devil and I'll back off a little bit. I'll resist the devil and I'll gradually walk away. No, resist the devil and he flees. Okay, you got to get an object lesson here, okay? Jerry, will we come up here? Okay, and, and, yeah, say, give, give a hand to Jerry. He's going to... Uh, we need an object lesson here. Okay, so here, here, you go over here. Now, your, 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 your role, I'll be, I'll be Satan. We need an, uh, an illustration. I'll be Satan, and uh, you'll be uh, my, my uh, the person I'm trying to try to get. And, and the only line you have to remember is, when I ask you a question, say no. Okay, sorry. I am Satan. Yes. And this is my pawn. I have authority over him. Yeah, I can make him sin when I want to. Because I'm powerful and evil. I'm the Lord of this earth. <laughs> now, watch me do my work. Mm, this is a pawn. I'm going to make him sin. Watch this. Jerry, would you like to sin? No. <laughs> Ouch, I sprained my, my, my calf. <laughs> <laughs> I got a Charlie horse. Uh, some Satan I am, huh? He runs! All right, thanks, Jerry. Give him a hand. Oh. Ouch! Uh, I'm serious. I have a Charlie horse on my calf. Uh, uh. Well, that's what the devil does. You resist him. He goes, ah! He runs away. They resisted. Uh, the minute we say no to his deceptions and temptations, he's got nothing on us, you see? And if he runs scared, he's a little scared bunny running back to mommy. So there's no place for fear. In fact, folks, if we remember who we are and who we're in and, 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 and where we are, uh, the devil's already defeated. He's already defeated. So it says this in Colossians, that um, uh, when Christ was crucified, all of the things that the enemy had on us, were nailed to the cross. All of them. And uh, uh, he, it says this, he, he was disarmed. Uh, Colossians 2.15. God disarmed the rulers and the authorities and made a public example of them. That word means a mockery, a laughing stock. Made a, a laughing stock out of them, triumphing over them in it. So when Christ was crucified, all the things he had on us, all the sin, and the only thing he's ever had on us is sin. It's our sin that puts us in subjection to him. Every sin you've ever committed, every lie you've ever told, every deception you've ever gotten involved in, every person you've ever hurt, every person you've ever cheated on, all the lust that you've been involved in, everything that the enemy had on you, everything he could accuse you of has been crucified, it's been executed, it's been destroyed, it's been abolished, it's been annihilated, obliterated. It is no more. And see, that's who he is. He's the accuser. So if he doesn't have anything to accuse us of, he's kind of out of business. He is disarmed. He's got no ammo. And that's why he has to run the minute we say no to him. And he's got nothing else to go on. Praise God. All fear, every chain he ever had on you, uh, all fear, all shame, all guilt, all condemnation, it's been removed, cast as far as the east is from the west. If you know who you are, who you're in, and where you're seated, the last thing we should ever be is afraid of the devil. The only power he's got over, or, 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 over humans is the power of deception that we, we give him. We, we, we empower him when we believe his lies. And so this earth is still a stronghold because most people still believe the lies. Even many believers still believe the lies. But if we know the truth, the truth shall set us free. Praise God. We are in him. Don't overemphasize the power of the devil. Now, here's the thing. Having said that, having said that, when we talk about the world as a whole, it's a very different story. The New Testament depicts this world in fairly 
scary terms. Um, listen to a few of the things that the New Testament says about Satan in relationship to the earth. Jesus three times calls Satan the archon of this world. The archon was a term that was used um, in, in the political sphere for whoever was in charge of a certain region. If you go to a region, you want to know who's boss, you say, who's the archon? Jesus says that in terms of this earth, Satan is the CEO. He's, he's, he's the, the primary influence. The, the term is sometimes translated ruler or prince or even lord. So Satan has, over this, this planet, he still has tremendous authority because most people believe his lies. And then we read this in the, in the temptation narratives. Uh, one of the things that Satan tries to tempt Jesus with is offering him all of the kingdoms of this world and all their authority, all their power. He says, they're all yours. I'll give them to you. I own them and I can give them to whoever I want. And I'll give them to you if you'll simply bow down and run them the way I, I would. And, of course, Jesus doesn't give in to that temptation. But he doesn't dispute that what Satan is saying is true. In fact, everything Satan says in these temptation narratives is technically true. He says, applied in a very wrong way. Now, think about this. All of the kingdoms of this world, all their authority. That's referring to all of the political clout. In every country, every country, sorry folks, no exceptions. The ultimate CEO of that is Satan. It doesn't mean that all the, the governments of this world are equally evil. Some are better than others. It doesn't mean that there aren't really good people serving in them, for sure. But we've got to know as believers that, that there's an evil influence that permeates all of them. And you talk to anyone who's been in politics for long and they'll tell you that, that there's a corrupting influence there. There's, a, there's an undertow and it's hard to stand up against. So folks, if we believe that, among other things, it should... Stop being surprised when government screws up royally. <laughs> of course, it's, we ought to be surprised when they accomplish anything. And these days, we are surprised that they accomplish anything. Um, but yeah, it, 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 if we believe this, it ought to dampen our enthusiasm for the whole thing. It certainly ought to cure us of any inclination to put a whole lot of hope in that enterprise, right? The hope of the world is not found in the government's figuring things out. No, folks, it's found in Jesus Christ because that's the one zone that's not under the influence of uh, the principalities and the powers. And Satan gives this authority to whoever he wants. If you believe that, and you have no choice but to believe it if you are a follower of Jesus, but it might dampen your enthusiasm for getting out and voting. I'm not saying don't vote. I would never say I don't vote. Me, I would, I would never say that. But, you know, the, Satan's got a long, big influence here. I was going to say it's a huge influence, but I didn't want to say that. So, uh, get huge? Never mind. Okay, so, listen to this. Revelation 12, it says that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. In fact, it says that several times in Revelation. The deceiver of the whole world. This world is under a cloud of deception. Um, it's one of the reasons why the world is so stupid. It, it, it's, it's, people can be so profoundly dumb. Here's, here's the paradox. How is it we are able to create devices like this? I'm using it as a time clock. This iPhone, it, I'll never get used to this. And because for one thing, they keep on improving it. But it's incredible. There's a girl inside of here who talks to me. I can ask her anything, and she'll give me the answer. It's like amazing. How do we invent stuff like this? And there's even more impressive stuff, little microchips that can just have more information on them than, than you could fill buildings with. We're able to do such technological wonders. But we've got a third of the people on the planet who are starving to death, and we can't figure out how to feed them. What is wrong with this picture? In some areas, we could be so smart. 
But we keep on thinking, and the majority of people keep on thinking that the way that we're going to end violence is by getting more violence. If we just kill enough people, and the more weapons we get, the safer we are, and the more bombs we can drop, the safer we are, and if we just kill enough people, well, then we'll have peace on earth. And we, people have been thinking that throughout all of history, and we keep doing the same thing, the same thing, but all you ever see is the violence just begets more violence, begets more violence, and it's a merry-go-round, and we keep on doing it. That's, a, that's, a, that's the definition of insanity. Einstein said that. Insanity is doing the same thing the same way over and over again, thinking you're going to sometime get a different result. And we never do. But we also don't figure this out. We can be so smart and so stupid. Why? Because it's a deception that's going on. People keep on thinking that, if only I can get the more money and the bigger house and the better car and the better spouse and, and the better this and that. And they chase after it all their life. If only I get that, I'll be happy. And it never works. And we never learn. Whole world under this deception. And then John says this. This is the most extreme statement. The, the evil one controls the entire world. A lot of people think that God controls everything. This statement says the opposite of that. Now, John is, is, is prone towards hyperbole. He says things in real black and white, extreme ways. Um, he, he, uh, he does it for emphasis. There's a characteristic of Semitic culture where you state things in absolute extreme ways for emphasis. Like John says, whoever sins is not of God. Well, you know, it's a little bit more complex than that, isn't it? But he's, just, he's, he's stating this for emphasis. But even as a hyperbolic statement, it's, it's making an incredible statement. He's saying Satan, the evil one, has tremendous influence in this world. And that, folks, is why it is all screwed up. And the Gospels portray it this way, that the, the, the reason that there's sickness, disease, deformities, and all those other kind of things in this world is because of Satan's corrupting influence. They consistently diagnose these things not as being aspects of God's mysterious will, but as reflecting Satan's will. So, for example, Jesus comes to this lady who's got a deformed back, um, and uh, he heals her. And the Pharisees, of course, get all upset because he did it on the Sabbath. Um, but then Jesus says this, Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Who bound her? It was Satan. Uh, this wasn't God's perfect plan for her life. No, this was uh, principalities and powers corrupting God's plan for her life. It doesn't mean that there's a specific demon behind every headache and, and your Charlie horse and, and whatever, but it does mean that if it wasn't for the influence of these powers, we wouldn't be like this. We wouldn't have these kind of afflictions, these kind of infirmities. In fact, the word, this is really interesting, the word that's used for infirmities, or it's at least sometimes used in the Gospels, is it, it's the word mystics. It's not the normal word for, for infirmity. It's mystics. And mystics literally means flogging or scourging. So from, a, from the gospel's perspective, when a person is being afflicted, uh, they're being whipped, they're being scourged, and it's not by God, it's by the enemy. And Jesus manifests the will of God by coming against that scourging. So when it says that Jesus set them free from their infirmity, it's really saying he set them free from their flogging, from their whipping. This is the stuff that the enemy does. And as long as he's got authority over this earth, uh, he'll be afflicting people. In fact, we all are to some degree afflicted. Uh, it, it, we don't have a parameter around this on a physical level. Uh, he's still got his authority on this physical plane. The evidence of that is that we all are afflicted with aging. Our body runs down. We're prone towards decay. Eventually we die. And it wasn't supposed to be this way. It wasn't supposed to be this way. This wasn't God's plan. Listen to this, Hebrews 2. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, Jesus, the Son of God, shared in our humanity so that by his death 
This is why he died. He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, and that is the devil. It's, a, it's the devil who holds the power of death. Now think about the implications of this. Death is simply the working of the second law of thermodynamics, which is one of the most foundational laws of physics, and yet apparently there's something wrong with the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, it's not operating exactly the way God wanted it to. Why? Because angelic beings who had authority over this stuff are now working at cross-purposes with God. There's corruption everywhere. We live in a corrupted environment. C.S. Lewis said that, that, that every square inch of the universe is claimed by uh, Satan and counterclaimed by God. Everything is permeated with this, the, the, this warfare. That's why death feels so unnatural. Even when a, a parent who is up in years and, and you expect them to die, when they die, it's still, you know, this, it just feels unnatural because it is unnatural. It wasn't supposed to be this way. The ignominious way that, that humans generally leave this earth, often having lost your mind for five years or not being able to control your bowels or whatever, that, we, we should go out with, with, a, with a streak of glory, <laughs> Instead, we just kind of whimper out, and it's just not dignifying, and that's because this isn't how it was supposed to be. We live in a war zone. Uh, you know, I, I shared this last year. I, I, went, I did a conference in Austria and Switzerland, back-to-back, -back, and then I was joined by my wife and some friends, and we went up into the Alps. Uh, so one of the ways they paid me for doing this conference is they opened up this lodge up in the Swiss Alps, and I had never seen uh, this kind of beauty, at least. It was magnificent. The mountains... I, Oh, it was glorious. I did, I would, Shelly and I would just sit on the edge of these, these mountains and just look out, and it was just glorious. The clouds beneath you, you know, and oh, it was just magnificent. Such beauty. And in those moments, it's so easy just to see the glory of God. Oh, God's beautiful. This is a reflection of it. Then, right after that, we visited Auschwitz and Birkenauer, the death camps. And I'm, sta I'm standing in this gas chamber, the first gas chamber the Nazis built, and I'm imagining the horror of the poor folks who were put to death there. Day by day by day, hundreds and hundreds, every day, all day long, suffocated. Um, and it's unimaginable how, how evil that is. So how is it we have a world where there's this unimaginable beauty and unimaginable evil side by side? What a contradictory world we live in. You see the glory of God all over the place, but you also see the ugliness and evil of Satan and the powers all over the place. We live in a war zone. And in this war zone, folks, we have a role to play, and it's so important that we can tell who's on our side and who's not, who we're fighting for and who we're not. It's so important that we know the character of the side that we represent. Here's what I find, is that when people don't take seriously the role of Satan and the powers in corrupting the world— they tend to blame God for everything that Satan and the powers do. God gets blamed for everything. Because people think that he's the only one calling the shots. He's just sort of unilaterally controlling everything. And so they think that God does all this. Last week, or two weeks ago, when they had those tornadoes down, down south, um, you know, they, they interviewed uh, some people who lost their homes. And this one lady, God bless her, but she lost her home, and she goes, oh, it's really, really sad, but... Um, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes, and I just got to trust he knows what he's doing. An F4 category her, uh, tornado leveled their whole town. And she says, well, God, I hope God knows what he's So you have to picture God up there, you know, just kind of steering this tornado. Uh, okay, okay, spare that house there. Okay, now, now go over here and, and okay, kill those kids. Uh, lift up that car, and let's put it over there, and, and uh, those people will be smashed. Okay, now go. Yeah! It drives me crazy. God playing with a little toy tornado, just knocking people down. 
folks, the, Jesus told this parable. Jesus told this parable. Remember the farmer? And he gets up in the morning, and the servant says, your, your, your wheat field is full of tares. And the farmer says, this an enemy has done. The good farmer wouldn't plant tares in his own field. No, he wants to grow healthy wheat. And the good God doesn't plant tares in his creation. This an enemy has done. And we've got to know what's of God and what's not of God. Uh, if it, look, at James says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, in whom there's no shadow of turning. He doesn't, there's not even a hint of turning. He's always the same. He's always good. He's always beautiful. He's always kind. He's always merciful. He's a good, good father, like we were saying before. He's a good, good father. He's always like that. He always is like he's revealed to be in Jesus Christ. Especially when Jesus Christ is crucified. He always has that self-sacrificial love. And Jesus never goes around killing people with hurricanes or anything else. No, this an enemy has done. We've got to be able to say this an enemy has done. We live in a war zone. And it's all mixed together like wheat and tares. But we've got to know what to shoot at and what not to shoot at. When there's good things in our life, give thanks to God. And give thanks to whoever else it came through. Uh, but when the evil stuff hits, this is warfare, folks. This is warfare. And just know that God's always good. He's on your side. So never be afraid. Know who you are, who you're in, and where you're seated. And never blame God for the stuff that the enemy does. But always be aware that there's a war around us. Not obs- don't obsess on it. But be aware, it's there, it's there, and we have an important role to play. Amen? Amen. Amen. No fear, no shame. We will not waver. All right, we're going to go into another few minutes of, of, of uh, singing to our Lord and God. Would you stand? Father, I just pray you seal this message on our heart, flood this place with your spirit, and be glorified in Jesus' name.